All right, let's get you fixed up here. The Sense Nation podcast is brought to you by Dunrobin Distilleries. Now, podcasting to Ottawa Senator fans around the world. Around the world. It's the Sins Nation podcast. All right, welcome to another episode of the Sens Nation podcast, hopefully with fewer cat noises this week. Coming up today on the show, we'll talk about the big story of the week, and that is Drake Batherson re-signing. It's a six-year gig for Batherson. Love the Drake. They also re-signed Philip Gustafson since we last got together. Uh, We'll get into a discussion about uh, what may be an interesting dance partner for the Ottawa Senators in the San Jose Sharks. Certainly, well, it's been it's worked well for the Sens in the past. That whole Shark pipeline. So we'll get to that in a whole lot more on this episode of the Sens Nation podcast. Thank you for being with us, and we say hello once again. My name is Steve Warren, by the way, with the coach Greg Kennedy, all the way from lovely downtown Slave Lake, Alberta. How are things, Greg? Things are good, Stephen. A beautiful weather up here this weekend. After a week of 12 and 13 degrees and rain, it's been uh, 18 to 22, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So it's a beautiful long weekend here in northern Alberta. That's all you need. I figure 22 degrees, uh, you don't really need any hotter than that unless you're poolside or oceanside or something like that or at the cottage. That's just fine. I'm. We have the same kind of weather you just described here. That's why we got the Sens hoodie on for the first time. Rainy and a bit on the cool side, so... That's why I'm dressed the way I am. Got it. Now, that makes sense. Now, I was wondering why you were wearing a big hoodie. Yeah. Well, it's the time of year. We're into September now, so it won't be long before we're watching some Sens hockey. Later this month, we get some preseason games firing up, but we did get some big news uh, this particular week in that uh, Drake Batherson has a new deal. So let's jump into this week's episode with our top story. It is the re-signing of Drake Batherson. It is a six-year deal worth almost $30 million. The cap hit is almost $5 million. And here's your salary breakdown. It'll be $2.5 million for this season, $3.5 million next, and then a big old pay raise, $5.4 million starting in the 2023-24 season. Again, $5.4 the year after that, and then six five for the final two years. For the time being, until Kachuk signs, that is, that's the highest cap on the cap hit on the team for now Thomas Shabbat among forwards Thomas Shabbat has the uh, the highest amount so what did you think of the deal Greg oh, it's wonderful well they bought up a couple years of free agency um I like the way that it the, the salary escalates so that in the tougher times like right now where revenue is not that strong and they don't pay out as much money and uh, he's he's going to earn it. And I, I think it's a contract that will age very well uh, if he projects and works out to what he's supposed to be at six and a half in the final two years. That that should be pretty good money to be paying him by then. He was basically a rookie last year. Not technically, not by definition. Played in the t- top line for the team with Kachuk and Josh Norris. Everybody on that line had 17 goals. The leader on the team, the only team guy that had more was uh, Connor Brown at 21. 34 points in 56 games is what he had. That was two points back at Kachuk for the team lead. So if you parlay that over a full season, 82 games, Batherson was on pace for a 50-point season. Where do you have him in the prime of this new contract? What do you have him as far as point production goes moving forward? Well, I think he's he's a 30 to 35 goal scorer, I would think. 
And you, if you're going to score 30 to 35 goals, I think you're going to get 65 to 70, or maybe you even get to uh, 82 points in a year. Is he, he, he could conceivably become a point-a-game player. And a point-a-game player, your leading goal scorer at 6.5 mil is, is very good money. Pierre Dorian says he wants him to shoot more as he enters this new contract. Hasn't been a perfect run thus far. He really feels like he's got this amazing shot, Batherson does. And if he shoots more, he's going to start hitting those, you know, that 30-goal mark, for example. Uh, are, you, are you a fan of, uh, of where he's at right now? Like, do you feel the same? Do you feel like he needs to shoot more? Well, he's a goal scorer, right? So uh, goal scorers need to shoot. you got to shoot the puck to score goals. Um, I think that there was some, there was some feeling out process there through, as the season went along as to who does what job on the line. And I think the way the senators played the game, that was more of a down low below the goal line stuffs and jams and walkouts and, and low to high, it kind of takes away from shooters or sniper type goals. Um, as this team progresses and the talent level rises and, and, and guys can find him on the ice in the soft spots he becomes a sniper who becomes a shooter, a goal scorer of that, those types of goals, then yeah, he, he, he will be that type of player. So yeah, let's start now. Why not start feeding him the puck and start shooting the puck more now? Yeah, I tend to agree. I, I think that this is one of the issues that sometimes pops up um, when you have a team that l- loves each other. Like it's, it's the chemistry is so good and every player talks about the same thing. Batherson did as well. He has a blast with the guys on this team and the camaraderie on this team is as good as any in the NHL, I think. And then they're all young. And, and so it's such a, it reminds me, I'm not, I'm not comparing them to this team in any way, shape or form, except with that young energy level they had in their early days. And I'm thinking of the early eighties Oilers when they were all kids and they were all fired up and they were all kind of arriving in the NHL at the same time. It kind of reminds me of that. I'm not saying they're going to go win five Stanley cups. Everybody settled down, but I wonder when you have that level of camaraderie, do you sometimes have almost being just just a lack of selfishness? And sometimes selfish is good when you're a sniper, that guys don't want to be perceived as being a puck hog. They love their teammates so much. They want to see them have success. Sometimes that, while, while, while it's almost all a silver lining when you have great camaraderie, there can sometimes be small downsides like that. Yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head, though, the, the selfishness or the level of selfishness, the level of ego Goal scorers need to have a certain level of ego that says, I'm, I'm the guy, get me the puck. And as I said, as this team progresses and their offense sort of changes, the way they score goals, the types of goals they're going to score will change. With an upgrade on the blue line, defensemen able to find them off the rush, defensemen able to find them on the backside, different ways that they're going to be able to score goals. And yeah, he, he just by osmosis, he's going to become a shooter. He, he will shoot more because the opportunities for shots will present themselves. It's not like he was giving up scoring chances and dishing off to Kachuk. I, I can't think of that having been a problem all year. Um, but, but maybe there are times where he could have shot a little more often, off the rush, in stride, through screens, through traffic off the rush, you know, those types of situations. You're a goal scorer, son, shoot the puck to score. As mentioned, 17 goals, and you might – I don't know, maybe some people would worry a little bit about the streakiness. I mean, ideally you want a guy who's absolutely going to, you know, contribute on a nightly basis. Consistency is key and such. But, of course, he found his way into the record books with goals in six straight games that match the franchise record. 
by the way, that was held by Alfie, Heatley, Spezza, Kudelski, and even Connor Brown later in the season last year, tied Batherson's shared record. And so in that run, he had something like eight goals in eight games, and that's uh, counting in eight games for half of his goal total for the rest of the season. Does streakiness concern you as a coach at all? Well, I think that had more to do with uh, age, uh, position in the lineup, stature in the lineup. I, I think uh, the, the quality of the team factors into that. You generate scoring chances off of puck control, right? You, you need to have the puck to score goals. And let's face it, that, that was streaky for the Senators as the year went along. The games where they had more control, the games where they, they were creating more offense, he was scoring goals. I don't think the games where they weren't creating offense, where he wasn't scoring, were particularly a, a reflection of him. You know, he, it's not like, oh, we had a bad game. It's like the whole team didn't play as well or didn't generate as much that night. So I, I'm not concerned about it. Don't forget, as you said, basically a rookie as well. 17 goals isn't bad for basically a rookie. That tells me he can get to he can get to 25 in a in a regular year, like like this coming season. He could easily score 25 or more this year coming up. Yeah. What do you think of the salary, the way it's worked out? And it's so cheap in the first two years. Again, Batherson at 2.5 million in year one, 3.5 million in year two. Does that is that a reflection of anything? Because people will look at that and go, oh, there's Eugene Melnick with a game plan there. Um, do you see a game plan in that? Like, what's the what's the thinking in being so inexpensive, relatively speaking, compared to the final couple of years? Well, I, I'd like to float a conspiracy theory by you. Ooh, you tell like me those. what you think. Yeah. <laughs> um, did they possibly feel uh, gun shy, but they got burnt? on the Colin White deal, they gave him the 4.75 and now two years later, or even a year later, if you wanted to try to move him, it's very difficult to do with that dollar figure based on the player that he's become. So you take Drake Batherson, um, putting aside the fact that revenues are down. So it makes sense to pay a little less money now, Mm -hmm. but if in two years, he's not really working out the way you thought he was going to be, it's only 3.5 and then it jumps after that year, right? So the trade deadline two years from now in that year where he's making 3.5, if he's not worked out the way you want him to work out, it's it's an asset that can be moved without much hardship. Right. But you'll have to make that call before he goes sideways for too long a period before the word kind of gets out on him, yeah. right? Because with the final four years of his contract being relatively wealthy, then I don't know that there'll be a lot of a market for him. If the Ottawa Senators have seen this guy and he's, you know, he hasn't lived up to his billing, I don't know that there'll be much of a market for him at this stage. I think that you, you alluded to it briefly there. I think the biggest factor there is the uh, is the revenue thing in that Melnick basically get a little time to get back in his feet with fans in the building again, and so go cheap in the first couple of years, and then if things go as they hope it will, um, they get back on their feet and become a playoff team and revenues are up then he you know then then you start spending a little more money in those uh final four years so i think that's yeah. probably the biggest reason and uh but yeah you may you may be onto something there as well but it's you know, kind of curious to see uh it'd be so cheap i mean i i really think that at 2.5 million dollars it's already an absolute steal but i expect <laughs> batherson to take a big old step forward this season so people will almost be chuckling at how cheap that is in the first two years yeah, like you're going to have him undervalue for a couple of years, yeah. and let's hope 
that he's not over value for the last couple of years, right? Let's let's hope that it ages well. And I, th- I really do think it will. Um, he's a different player than Colin White, obviously. Different type of player, different minutes, different situations on the ice. He will produce offense unlike Colin White. So it will age very well. I just, I can't see it. But then again, you know, these guys sign these all the time and you, you think, oh, what a great contract. And then it's not. But I just, I can't see it screwing them in the end i just I, it, it's going to age very well i hope so because i did feel you know i'm I mean, you know as, as you know i've said this on many episodes i'm just not a colin white guy anymore if they traded him tomorrow i wouldn't lose a an ounce of sleep over it and uh but on the day of the signing i thought hey, good for them he's a first rounder he's had that uh mid 40s in terms of a point uh, production one season uh, i thought that was a good deal at the time but it, it it looks disastrous now and who knows how things could play out I think Batherson, I have more. I feel like I have more confidence here on in the early days of this deal, but uh, you just never know if Batherson falls off the line. You know, maybe a Stutzler moves up and plays on the top line on the off wing or something like that, and uh, Batherson drops down, points start to disappear. Because as we said about Colin White, right? That's a great deal, but you know he did play with Kachuk and Mark Stone for most of that fine season that he had, and got paid off of that for the for the most part. So you just never know, I guess is my point. And uh, we certainly hope it works out. And it, I think if you're going to invest in a guy, Batherson would seem like that sort of player. And he seems like he, on top of everything else, he's a fairly robust player. I think he's going to be a guy that will win more puck battles than Colin White ever could. I don't think you can, you can compare the two. The, the only comparison you can make is that the senator stepped up and signed a youngish player to a long-term deal. That's it. Beyond that, there are no real comparisons. There's no comparisons with dollar amounts, with value, with projections, with point production, nothing. Other than they stepped up, they made a statement. They said, yep, this is a guy. We want this guy. He's here. He's going to be here. And now we've assured that he's going to be here for six years. And it also, it sends a message to Brady Kachuk. It tells Brady Kachuk, like, yeah, we're serious. So hopefully that's that's the next one to drop here now. Yeah, totally agree. And I think it also sends a message, Greg, to a skeptical fan base because this has been a skeptical fan base as we all know and has been since this rebuild started and i think this is you know, it's great to get batherson back that in a vacuum onto itself is great news but it's this whole thing it's sort of affirmation for the fan base that yeah the maybe this this vow of unparalleled success you know doing what they said they were going to do and that is spend to the cap or close to it Invest in payroll, basically, and spend what it takes to win. I think the Batherson signing, along with the Shabbat signing, and we mentioned Colin White, I think this sends another loud message that top young players um, are going to be taken care of and that the players themselves are not averse to being in Ottawa long term. So beyond Batherson, having him back and how good that is, I think it really sends a really good message across the board of the fan base, too. Couldn't agree more. Bodes very well for the future. And as I said, uh, Kachuk should be paying attention. Yeah. One last thing on this thing in that with this signing and I guess the uh, with the um, Gustafson signing as well, the Sens now have $24 million in cap room as we record this. And uh, Kachuk, I think, probably grabs roughly a third of that. Then next year, you've got Josh Norris, Alex Formanton, Eric Brandstrom. Year after that, it's Tim Stutzla and Shane Pinto. So 
I mean, this team is the core of this team is pretty much set now. I think you can go ahead and talk about as, as Eugene Melnick did on the podcast back in May with Bob McCowan. Talk about we need to you know bring in a center. We need to bring in a I don't know was it a winger or a defense whatever they talk anything you bring in right now it's pretty much got to be on a, like a one year deal right because I mean beyond that that twenty four million in cap room is pretty much spoken for isn't it Yeah, uh, and, but then again maybe you take the view that they still need a placeholder. Do they still need a placeholder at a at a 2A or 1B center slot. Like, is Josh Norris really going to be the number one center for this coming season? If he is, okay, fine. Who's the number two center? Is it, you know, do we have a number two center? So you maybe still need another placeholder. So that makes sense on a one or two year deal to get somebody in here to just to tide you over, just as an insurance policy to make sure that Norris is developing. If Pinto ends up making the team, make sure he's developing. Who's centering your second line? You know, you got a, you got a suggestion? Shane Pinto is my second line center if I have to pick right now. Okay, then who's your third line center? Um, Chris Tierney. Yeah, probably, right? Because I think Nick Paul's now established as a winger. Mm-hmm. So, all right, if your top three centers are Josh Norris, Shane Pinto, Nick Paul. Uh, <laughs> you know, that might be nice want, two sorry, years I, from now. Clear, clear up for me. Are you saying Nick Paul at center or not? Or sorry, or sorry, sorry. Uh, Colin White, let's right. say he's your third line center. Yeah, so I think I think that's three so, A or three B. You can go Tierney or Colin White. It's probably going to be yeah. Colin White because of the contract. But in my book, I like Tierney better than White. Yeah, but is that something you want to go into your season with? And I think that internally, that is not something that the Senator Brass want to go into the season with. Just for insurance purposes, if Pinto doesn't continue to rise. If Norris doesn't continue to rise, Tierney's, you, know, you have an injury or you have a, a bad start, Tierney moving up into one or two is not a good answer. Do we agree? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think, there. yes, we still need to find, or they still need to find, they should still be looking for somebody to play center ice who's an established, at worst, number two center. They're tough to find, though, in yeah, short-term basis. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> teams cling to those top two centers, right? And, uh, you know, you might get – I just – you can go out and, you know, give up some of your futures to get a guy like that, but uh, chances are he's not going to be on that convenient, inexpensive one-year contract that you're hoping for. Uh, so it'll be a challenge for sure, but I think, you know, if all things were equal, yeah, that would be ideal. All right, so Batherson's contract talks were all sort of happening in the shadow of discussions – with Kachuk discussions, and they appear to be fairly sluggish at the moment. Our old pal Sean Simpson from TSN 1200 had this to say on Twitter this week, and it kind of set social media abuzz. Simmer said, my source tells me that frustration is set in with a Kachuk camp. Brady is trying to stay positive, but doesn't understand why it's taking so long. I asked what has been offered, and it was termed that the Kachuk camp has not received a legitimate offer from the Sens. I guess my first question would be, I wonder what they would perceive to be a legitimate offer. Uh, But it does sound like they are, and it's surprising because you'd think they'd be down to brass tacks, crossing the T's, dotting the I's at this stage of the game. But at this stage, it looks like they're miles apart, doesn't it? If that's true. Yeah. Who used the word, what was it, legitimate offer? Yeah, that was the Kachuk camp. 
Yeah. And, and what did they mean by that? Does that mean they, they, are they saying we haven't received an offer or they sent us an offer and it was crap? Like who knows what's really going on, right? Like you just, as we talked about last week's show, there's pressure points in a season and the pressure point's going to come when training camp comes. So if, yeah. if nothing gets done between now and the start of camp, then there's your pressure point right there. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, the, what does that legitimate offer mean? Regardless of what it means, it, it's not a positive. And, yeah, and, exactly. that, and that frustration is setting in. That's also quite obviously a negative because even if a deal gets done, if they're not amicable, these talks, that that can linger. You know, that can linger. Whatever whatever deal is signed here, there will be a deal signed. He will remain property of the Ottawa Senators, barring an offer sheet coming along at the 11th hour. I don't think that's going to happen, but who knows after what we saw with Montreal and Carolina. We'll touch on that later. But uh, yeah, the deal's going to get done, and you don't want linger- lingering bitterness because I think we both agree that we think it's going to be a three-year deal. And after three years, you've got that one last chance to maybe sign Kachuk for a longer-term basis or he walks into free agency a year later. Um, you want things to be as amicable as possible when that day arrives. So it's uh, it's but, unfortunate it doesn't look like things are particularly positive, but uh, maybe there's more than we think. And this is the Kachuk side, apparently talking to Sean Simpson Maybe the Sens have a different spin on things, and uh, there's always the the to and fro, the back and forth in negotiations. So maybe we're overestimating exactly uh, the level of frustration. Yeah, like how much of this is just a negotiating ploy, right? Somebody from the media checks in to see how things are going, and we throw out their words like frustrating and uh, not legitimate, and you know, like I'm sure it's partially negotiating ploy as well, right? We're posturing here. We're, we're trying to move things along. So I, I, I can understand that side of it from the Kachuk camp being that way. Yeah. Nothing changes in your mind in terms of what you think is going to happen? No, it, it'll get done. It'll be three years, maximum four. I just can't see Kachuk signing for eight. Whether I'm not saying they're not going to offer eight. I'm not saying the Senators aren't going to try to get him for eight, but I just can't see Kachuk taking anything over three, maybe four tops. No worries of an offer sheet. Oh, God, no. No. Um, or, you know what? An offer sheet might be a good thing. I, w- I, you know, I would welcome an offer sheet just to, just to get it done, right? An offer sheet comes in, you match it, it's done. Yeah, and nobody's going to come in with something, I think. Nobody's going to come in with something that the Sens won't match. And if they do, well, then the Sens are getting, what, four first-round draft picks? Probably because I think it's ten million dollars. I think yeah. that I think you'd have to be at the ten million dollar mark before you'd start considering the Sens not matching it. And once you hit the ten million dollar plateau, that's when that four first round draft picks thing kicks in. So that's not necessarily well, a bad thing either. You could you could screw up the Senators with upfront money. The Senators do not do signing bonuses. And that's cash on the barrel right away, right? That's not something that's in Eugene Melnick's uh, bag of tricks. Look at the, the deal with Batherson. There's no no bonus money, no signing money in there. Um, so you could screw the Senators up with a signing bonus of a huge amount of money mm-hmm. and a low salary. And the lower salary would then lower the compensation required. But I just, 
I, I, I can't see them anybody coming up with anything because he's going to want $8 million at least. So I just can't see it happening. Really, the whole idea of an offer sheet to me is more for a mid-range player. It's more for a, a middle six uh, forward, a second pair D. They, there they work. There you can you can actually justify offering that kind of money or giving up what you have to give up if uh, if you end up with the player. It just does, for me, it's not for high end guys. All right, let's talk about the offer sheet that went down. This isn't sends related, though it does involve a player that was talked about forever in terms of his comparison to Brady Kachuk. If you'll remember in 2018 at the NHL draft, Habs fans, I think, were a little surprised when Mark Bergevin went out and selected Jesperi Kotkaniemi. The next pick was the Ottawa Senators, and they gladly took Brady Kachuk. And I think even the most optimistic Hab fan would wonder if that was <laughs> the right thing uh, for the Habs to have done. And... Um, so there is a bit of a tie-in, is my point. And so this third overall draft pick in, in the Habs, he basically was offer-sheeted a week ago. We talked about it on the last episode by the Carolina Hurricanes, and it was a one-year, $6.1 million deal. Well, we now know, as of yesterday as we record this, that Montreal said, you know what, we're not matching that. And that's the first time that we've seen this happen since 2007 and Dustin Penner. There have been offer sheets before, but they've always been matched since then. Dustin Penner was not matched, and uh, the Edmonton Oilers got him away from Anaheim, and this is the first one since then that was not matched. So Carolina does indeed get Kotkaniemi. It's a one-year deal worth $6.1 million, and the Habs get back a first and a third-round pick. So what did you think? Were you surprised at all that Bergevin did not match? No, I wasn't. Um, he, he's not worth $6 million and actually it's, it's 12 million over two years because the qualifying offer at the end of next season is going to have to be at 6.1. He's not worth it. He hasn't shown that he's worth it. Uh, three years from now, would he be worth $6 million? If he, if he continues to develop the way he is, yes. But at this point in his career, he's simply not worth it. And to put the Senator, sorry, to put the Habs into some sort of a little bit of trouble there with their with their cap, even with the uh, long-term injured relief there coming from Weber, they're still going to be in cap trouble if they turn around and, and match the six mil to Kotkaniemi. Cut, cut so I was not surprised they walked away. Were you? Not at all. No, I thought that, uh, you know, the assets that they get back and not having to pay $6.1 million, I think that uh, they decided, you know what, maybe this takes care of an issue because I really feel like, if you're moving forward with Dominic Ducharme as your head coach, and we know they are, they re-signed him in the offseason, uh, interim coach last year in replacement of Claude Julien. I think if you decided to do that, well, Ducharme's not a big fan of that guy, as we learned in the playoffs, and that he decided to scratch him. That didn't mean he couldn't be part of the organization moving forward. But, you know, you had guys with less NHL experience that were out there in the postseason, right? You had Cole Caulfield that uh, was getting heavily relied upon. So I just I feel like that everything was working in the favor of Kotkaniemi ending up leaving. Meanwhile, with the first round pick and they also got the third round pick, knowing that they had those assets, they decided to go shopping a day later. And the Canadians have acquired Christian Dvorak, also a centerman from the, I shouldn't say also a centerman, we're not sure what Kotkaniemi is going to be, winger, <laughs> center. But uh, Dvorak uh, arrived from the Arizona Coyotes in exchange for that Carolina first rounder that they just got in 2022. 
And then a second rounder, which isn't until 2024. What do you think of the Habs picking up the 25-year-old Dvorak? It, it frustrates me when I watch other teams identify a need and fill it so quickly. Yeah. When you've got a team that we that we're supposed to be talking about every week that has needs and it seems to take them forever to fill things or to, for the, for deals to get done. Now this was rumored the day before, basically in the week that the, that we were waiting on the decision, I started reading about, they're going to say no and get Dvorak. Uh, nice little deal. Nice, nice center iceman to help them out. Uh, less money, obviously, uh, a year or two older, his upside is probably nowhere near what Katanyemi's is, but you've got some established stats there and, and he's more established in the league and maybe more reliable or consistent he will be uh, this season at least, right? Yeah. They had seven days to match this thing. Do you think that it had a hand in their decision setting things up with Arizona, basically getting in their ear the last seven days and saying, would you be willing to do this deal for Dvorak? Um, and maybe that that deal was already done before they announced their decision on Kotkaniemi? Yes, I would think for sure. Um, let's not forget that the, the, the idea of you have seven days. So while you're waiting, yeah. while you're thinking about it, really you've, you've handcuffed Carolina, right? Carolina couldn't go around and spend money on anybody or make any moves or do anything because they didn't know what was going to happen with Katanyemi. So hanging on to your, your time, keeping your player for the full seven days. And then at the very end saying, yeah, okay, you can have them. It kind of, kind of screws them back a little bit. I watched Dvorak's goal highlight or goals highlight. He had 17 on the year, 31 points. And he has 146 points in 302 career games. Um, I, I certainly like the look of the player. He's one of those guys that on a power play, he'd be in that bumper position and be a beauty there. He was exactly what we hoped uh, what's his, uh, Dadnov would be for the Sens this year in that power play role. He, he seems to do that well, unlike Dadnov here in Ottawa, uh, who is just miserable in that position. From a Hab fan perspective, and I want to get I want to get away from this because this is Sens Nation, of course. Yes. Would you rather have Dvorak or Kotkaniemi right now? Because, I mean, they both cost the Habs about the same thing. You know, to give Kotkaniemi away, it was a first and a third. To get Dvorak, it was a first and a second. They cost about the same. Would you rather, if you're the Montreal Canadiens, have Dvorak or Kotkaniemi? Well, I think that if you assume that Suzuki is number one, then Dvorak is probably more suited. Dependability, reliability, probably 40 to 45 points over a regular season, 82 games. He is the more stable, reliable, dependable player whereas Katanyemi is wait and hope and pray and maybe and maybe not who knows uh, I, I think I'd rather have Dvorak at this point well I look at it in terms of uh, you know the point production I feel like Katanyemi can come back to haunt you I feel like Dvorak is what he is now at age 25 so I like Dvorak at this moment in time but Katanyemi has a chance to come back and bite you in the butt in terms of his development. Oh well, yeah, that that's but that's that's the dependability, the reliability of it, right? That's yeah. the serviceable second line center who can produce. You know, like that's that's the the price you pay, the risk you run, right? Okay, we're we're giving uh, that's hockey in, at the NHL level every day, right? You're making projections on players, and would I rather wait for that guy to develop, or would I rather have this guy now? The bird in the hand. 
So it's uh, it's it's a game they play every day at, at management level in the NHL. That was exactly the cliche I was going to use, the old bird in hand. That's exactly what it is, and there's a lot to be said for that when you're talking about young men and uh, all the things that can get in their heads, even if physically they look like they have all the tools. You don't know what's going on away from the rink or at the rink, and it's uh, there's so many things that could make a guy go sideways. With Dvorak, I think he is what he is. I don't think he's going to light it up now that he's in Montreal, but I think that uh, that's uh, – I think that makes Montreal harder to play against and, and a better certainty than Kotkaniemi was going to bring to the table. Let's change gears it's here. One more, it's, oops, sorry. it's one more guy off the market now, though, from a senator standpoint, and leaves you leaning more towards the Thomas Hurdle talk, right? Yes, for sure. I mean, Dvorak has so much time left on his contract. It's a reasonable contract. I think it, it looked it was like four and a half million, something like that for the most part. Don't have it in front of me right now, but he has three or four more years left on that deal. I just don't see it fitting in, as we mentioned earlier. The, the Sens have $24 million left, but they've got a lot of key guys to sign over these next few years. If Dvorak only had one or two more years left on his contract, yeah, he, he would fit in, but I still don't see that contract fitting in. Had the Habs decided not to make this deal and Dvorak was still out there for a first-rounder, I don't see the Sens making that deal. All right, it's time now for the Dunrobin Distillery's web poll. We put the question out there. What is your opinion of the new Drake Batherson deal? The Church of Alfie writes, and by the way, you're welcome for that moniker. Uh, People are comparing the white deal, or comparing it to the white deal, but my impressions of Batherson now versus white then is that Batherson definitely has the higher ceiling. This will age way better than the white deal, without a doubt. Sylvain Godin writes, excellent term and money for both player and team. Hopefully this now pushes Dorian to focus on the last big piece in Kachuk. Get it done. Jack Laporte writes, I'm over the moon. This deal will age extremely well for the team. Wouldn't it be nice if the Sens took a Boston-Pittsburgh approach? Everyone take a hair less so the team can succeed. Dave Zivkovich, one of the few negative comments. Too much money in term for an unproven, although promising player. They're rolling the dice with that signing. Bobo 2 writes, a great deal, although honestly, I'd like to see him play with Tim Stutzler more. I may be misremembering, but he went on that crazy goal streak. He was playing on Tim's line. Then when he moved up to the first line, his production dropped a little. I don't know, just my thoughts. And a couple of more lighthearted ones. Pat Armitage writes, will Drake adopt me? And sends Sarge writes, Start the car. Thank you for all your comments. Our web poll brought to you by Dunrobin Distilleries. Just like craft beer years ago, the market for craft spirits is booming right now, and Dunrobin Distilleries is at the forefront in Ottawa. They currently offer artisanal gin and vodka, rye whiskey, 12 different flavors of bitters, and their recently launched Earl Grey gin, all made with the finest quality ingredients right here in Ottawa. DunrobinDistilleries.com. Where will your spirit take you? Let's move on to the other signing since we last spoke to you. That is Philip Gustafson. He gets a two-year contract. It's a two-way deal in year number one and a one-way deal in year number two. It was an average annual value of $787,000. And uh, so basically, I think that's an absolute steal. I really, I, I feel like he might right now be the best goalie in the organization. Well, that remains to be seen, but... He's going to go down to Belleville. He and Matt Sogard will be probably the best one-two punch goaltending-wise in the entire American Hockey League. 
But, uh, boy, I really feel like that's that's dirt cheap for a guy who I think is the goalie of the future if I had to pick now. See, there, there's your the, the, what we were just talking about, right? Projecting players for the bird in the hand, the what's in the future, how good is he going to be? You've now anointed him the starter of the future and have convinced yourself or, or he's convinced you that he's the guy. Is he really? Well, I mean, if he's got a competition, <laughs> I think the competition is coming from the other guy in Belleville. With Sogard getting off to such an amazing start in his American Hockey League career at 7-0, and oh, hello, with some pretty decent stats to go with that. I think that's a great start. Gigantic goalie. I love the gigantic goalie. But uh, Matt Murray and Anton Forsberg, do you look at either of those guys? If the Sens you know, become a team that becomes a perennial playoff threat, do you believe that either Murray or Forsberg are your goalie? I don't know. I just, I just don't know. I mean, you got Marilinen to look at too. Yeah. You look at Sogard, and he just uh, he, that that se- end of the season there really makes it intriguing to look into the future. Same thing with Gustafson, who never really, never really lived up to the hype of being the. He was the goalie of the future of the Pittsburgh Penguins at one time, right? Mm-hmm. And he just never really lived up to it. Then all of a sudden, he had a good couple months there, and oh, look out! Here's the guy. I just, I, 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 let's put it this way. My, my confidence level could do with a raising. <laughs> it could certainly be higher on any one of these guys, even with, uh, with, with the Levi there too. The other, the other guy in the, in the conversation, Marilinen between the Marilinen, Sogard and Gustafson, one of them surely to God is going to work out and be a true number one goaltender someday. Do you expect Matt Murray to grab the reins this year? And yeah, I, I, he, he will be the guy. Um, assuming he stays healthy, I, I expect him to be uh, to be very good this season. I just I just feel it in my bones. The way the team played at the end of the season, it's pretty much close to the exact same lineup with maturity and and a couple of additions here and there. I see them being a better team or a more consistent team in front of the goalie this year. So I can see Matt Murray having a much better season. Yeah, and, and I think that that's the hope for Pierre Dorian, and that's why he was able to sort of say to Gustafson, okay, this is sort of a, uh, you know, a, a just-for-now scenario. Because Matt Murray has, like we talked about, he's got, uh, what, uh, four more years, three more years on that contract. Dorian is going to do everything in his power for him to be the guy, Matt Murray, because it looks so much better on him if he is the goalie of the future. And uh, if he's not then, well, he has some explaining to do to his boss. So we, we shall see. But uh, that uh, that Gustafson deal, no matter what's going on with Matt Murray, I still think is excellent. And uh, it'll be worth a, a trip down to Belleville because I think they're going to be really good with the goaltending they have and some of the other names they'll have down there with the Senators of the future pretty much everywhere. I have a question. Okay, go ahead. Uh, speaking of down in Belleville and Senators of the future, what's going on with the unspoken one these days? Logan Brown? <laughs> that guy. Yeah. Hasn't even signed a qualifying offer yet. What's going on there? Apparently he wants out and he's asked to be traded. And what's going on? What are you hearing? Well, I, I have absolutely no doubt that he and his agent are trying to encourage the Sens to let him move on to another opportunity. He's been here since 2016, a first rounder back then. And uh, I, I think the last thing the kid wants is to come to yet another training camp and be sent down again. It's just... He must be just fatigued with the organization. I mean, Andy Murray 
Andy Murray, Andy Scott, his agent, uh, a couple of years ago, basically, you know, talked about how he, he hasn't seen this kind of treatment for a, a, a player with Logan Brown's pedigree before, and it didn't necessarily go over well with uh, the media and the organization. But uh, it, I mean, that that was two years ago. You can imagine where their headspace is right now for the organization, and he, and really, when you look at the lineup right now, where's Logan Brown going to fit in? Yeah, yeah, interesting, right? Yeah, uh, just. His value is, could it possibly be any lower? Like if if the Sens don't sign him and he ends up going somewhere, it's going to be close to the league minimum. Like he's going to make Jason Spezza money somewhere, wherever he ends up this year, 750, 850. I can't see somebody even giving him a million dollars. So uh, he has not received a quality, oh, sorry, he has not signed um, a, a qualifying offer yet? Has he been offered one? We don't even know if he was offered one. I, I believe he was. Was there not an announcement way back that the following players have all been sent qualifying? Offers? Oh, he's for sure been qualified. Yeah, he would have been okay. gone a long time ago if he uh, if they hadn't qualified him. I think there's a certain deadline. Might even be I don't know same day as the free agency starts. But if you don't qualify yeah. him before that starts, then he'd have been uh, shopping his wares somewhere else. And I try and put myself in Logan Brown's shoes. Like, even if I did everything right this summer and showed up to camp, like, what's his faith level that this particular management group and coaching staff is going to want to put me in the lineup? I feel like he just feels like the organization has turned a page on him effectively. And I think the organization has only had only qualified him and wants him back just to keep the asset and be able to get something for him. Um, so it's all um, – it's probably best for both sides to move on. Though, personally speaking – if um, if all those sort of agendas weren't in place, I still would like to see Logan Brown try and get through a season healthy down in the American Hockey League, prove himself down there, really light it up, get his mojo back. Because I still think that if you line up all the forwards in the organization, like Logan Brown is right near the, near the top of the list as far as passing skill goes, which uh, it's just a valuable asset, particularly on the power play. On the power play, if that was all the game was then I want Logan Brown on my team. Uh, but if he can get the rest of it together somewhat, it's still a guy that I think is still something there. Yeah, but you and I are in, in agreement here that the best thing for him, as you just outlined, is to go to the American League, play a full season, yada, yada, yada. If you're Logan Brown, though, is your position not like enough's enough, it's time, I deserve to be in the NHL as a full-time regular player this season? So there's probably the crux of the argument with the Senators. Well, yeah, and I think it's even more than that in that with a new organization, I feel like he feels like he'd be given a good shot if he gets to go down to the American Hockey League and prove himself. I think he's so skeptical about the organization right now that if he goes down and gets 90 points in Belleville this year, I think he probably feels right now like the Sens still might not call him up. So I think it's just, <laughs> a, just it's a disconnect at this stage that I, I don't know that they'll be able to figure things out. Yeah, you're you're probably right. As we've as I've been saying all along, just cut, cut bait, move on, get on with it, please. Yeah. Please. We'll see. Let us get on with things because a couple of other things. You mentioned earlier in the show uh about this uh this Thomas Hurdle thing. And Kenny Warren in the Sun this week, and in the Citizen too, I guess. It's all post media. Um he talked about how there might be a fit there in that Thomas Hurdle might be a possibility for the Sens to maybe be in on. I don't know where you're at with uh, with Thomas Hurdle. What is his contractual situation right now? 
He's got one year left. Yeah. So that might be the kind of guy we're know. talking about, right? Yeah. Like the the, the, the placeholder. I, I know we get tired of placeholders, but I really think that it's center ice, part, part placeholder, part insurance policy, just in case. Like we're, we're all sort of like, never mind the pencil. You, you put uh, Shane Pinto right in there in big black Sharpie at number two center, right? And even Josh Norris coming off his rookie season. How strong will he be? Will there be a fall off a little bit? Who's your third line center? Like, would it kill you to go out and find a guy, uh, the words we used for Dvorak, dependable, reliable. It doesn't even have to be a point of game. Like, yeah, it'd be nice if it was a point of game guy, we'd make him number one center. But if you found a guy who could just produce, I don't know, 45 points over the course of a season, and he's just there in your lineup, a proven NHL veteran, I see nothing wrong with a guy like Thomas Hurdle. Is it for sure one and done then if you brought in a guy like Thomas Hurdle? Like you could make the argument that he'd be your number one center for next season. Yeah, you could. You you certainly could. And then again, he'd be a free agent at the end of the year. So you get another year of development out of Pinto, another year out of Norris. You've another year lopped off the contract of Chris Tierney, who, who you may move on at the trade deadline. Who knows? Maybe you bring in Hurdle or whoever it is and you move him at the deadline. Like let him, you rent them for now, and then you rent them out. Somebody else rents them at the trade deadline, or you know, if he comes here and he does well, and you like him and you're happy, then you look at a new contract. But that new contract isn't going to be probably won't be as much as the five point six he's making now. So he's 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 declining, right? He is. I'm trying to figure out how old he is. He's 27. Hmm. He's declining so maybe he, age-wise, but I mean, points-wise, he had a great year with 43 points in 50 games. So yeah, that, that's, so is he looking at more money? <laughs> so well, you'd have to make a decision, I think, at that stage. If you decided, and we're getting way ahead of things here, the deal hasn't even happened yet, and we're already looking a year yeah. ahead. <laughs> but let's say it does happen, and they bring in a guy like Hurdle, and they give up some futures, which I'm not a fan of, by the way. I feel like stay the course, keep your high-end draft picks and such, and because, you know, inevitably you're going to be saying goodbye to these guys when they're UFAs. So as those guys leave, the first rounders arrive that you've been developing. I think that's that's the way this system will work for a team like the Ottawa Senators. It won't work if you don't have the the futures coming in first rounders that you've developed. But let's say they do do that and they bring in hurdle. Uh, I think you'd have to make a decision after this coming season whether or not you want to re-sign Josh Norris or trade him away and make Hurdle your number one guy. There's not room Ooh. for both. There's not room to re-sign both of them. Good point. Uh, again, assuming that Norris is, continues on the upward curve, assuming that Stutzla continues on the curve, assuming that Pinto continues, um, you, Ridley Gregg, there's there's all kinds of factors in there. Mm-hmm. You still You still need to buy time. The Senators still need to buy a little bit of time, probably another year, maybe another two years, till everything sort of fleshes out amongst what is the the, the core 22-23 age group now. There's other guys coming after the fact, but what's your lineup going to be in two years out of these guys that are here now? That's going to dictate what you're looking for in the market. Are you looking for Eugene Melnick's need a number one center or are you looking for need a one B two a guy? Right. You know, it's, it's, it's the games they have to play and the projections they have to make. And that's, it's nice that at least there's another voice in the room now in Pierre Maguire, 
so that there's more more uh, more talk, more more eyes on things, more thoughts. So I I expect them to make the right decision. I expect the decision to be made logically, and let's hope they make the right decision. I don't think it happens. I hope it doesn't happen for the reason I mentioned. I just think that uh, for one year of hurdle, you know, you're probably giving up a first rounder. There's a pretty good hockey player there, and I just feel like there's no point in for one year. I just you, you like to have it. It'd be another great asset. It's probably a need for the organization, but then he'll be gone. And as I mentioned off the top, $24 million in cap room. If you decide to keep Hurdle around for when the team is starting to be truly competitive, truly a playoff team every year, there's not room to pay Hurdle and all those other guys I mentioned with that $24 million in cap room uh, unless you make some kind of a, a deal. And I, in the meantime, it costs you a first rounder to bring Hurdle in to start with. And so I, I'm, just, I'm just not a fan. Yeah. I think you really need to stick to a formula here, and that's a decent formula. You can't, okay, you, most of the times we've seen in the last four years, it's been a purge. As Eugene Melnick said, oh, nobody's, t- nobody's ever trashed the team the way we have. You need to be in a position where if that's the deal, when a guy becomes a UFA, you're usually going to move on from him. There needs to be first rounders coming in the bottom end, and then your mid-tier guys become your top guys. It can work but only with that kind of a formula. Yeah, so you're you're in the camp of a let's find a 1B, 2A guy. Let's not find a bona fide number one. You're more the insurance policy second-line guy. Well, as long, as long as the insurance – you can bring in anyone you want as long as it's not going to cost, cost me a first-rounder. Right. Right. If they want to – if San Jose wants to trade Hurdle for a year and uh, they're okay with me sending them a second or third-rounder, well – all day long yeah. for sure. But, but let's uh, not forget that the senators are out of extra picks too. Like I next year they have Tampa's second, uh Boston's third, Vancouver's third, but nobody else is first, right? And in 2023 they only have one extra pick. It's a seventh rounder, and in 2024 they have no extra picks. So really they don't have a lot to play with. Next year as I said, a first, two seconds and three thirds. So not a lot to play with. All right. Closing it out today. Mark yeah. Stone got married in the past week here. <laughs> Congratulations to Stoner. What I was a little surprised by was that Brady Kachuk wasn't just at the wedding. I expected that. I know they were tight and everything, but I didn't know they were so tight that Brady Kachuk is actually in the wedding as one of his groomsmen. There's some funny social media stuff out there, some photos out there, the standard Sears catalog pose of the of the groomsmen <laughs> all together. But then later when they're having a couple, you got Brady Kachuk. Because in the picture, Stone was the only guy wearing a vest with his suit. All the other guys had just the jacket and tie. Well, later in the evening, Brady Kachuk has taken off his, well, he's taken off everything. And all he's wearing <laughs> is that vest of Mark Stone's. So they're clearly, <laughs> they're clearly very tight. And I didn't know they were that tight, but that's cool and everything. It speaks that on the positive. It speaks to you know, here's a 21 year old that you know in the in the bridal party of a 28, 29 year old. So it speaks to Kachuk being you know wise and, and and mature beyond his years and such. But it also makes me think, okay, if they're that tight, I mean Stone clearly must have had some contractual advice for this guy over the last year, and I, I think that should make sense. Fans shudder a little. <laughs> Yeah, again, we we've been through this, right? Same agent. Um, they they live together. Um, 
it's you, you never know who is giving who advice. But in this case, I think we can pretty much guarantee that Mark Stone is throwing his two cents worth into this conversation. That's a little, uh, it could be disconcerting in the end. Who knows how it's going to turn out because you don't know how much animosity Mark Stone still has toward the senators and the Senate organization. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no shortage of uh, harbingers. You look at uh, Keith Kachuk. He wanted Mark Stone to stay in the organization. He was pleading with the Sens. We got to get that guy back. He's Kachuk's landlord, effectively, and uh, um, the agent thing you mentioned, uh, he has the same agent as Stone, as Pajo, as Carlson. There's just no shortage of of angles where you say, okay, that's probably a three-year contract, a bridge deal coming down the pipe, along with Matthew Kachuk, the brother, who also signed a three-year contract coming out of his entry-level contract. So that's what I think is going to happen. I'd put a lot of money on it, to be honest, but uh, I'm still hoping, fingers crossed, that they can get done something done long-term. Uh, we shall call it quits right there. I want to thank everybody for being with us today. Our website, sensnationhockey.com. Uh, there you can find past episodes, how you can join us on Patreon as a member, and uh, all kinds of other cool stuff, including Sens News and articles as well. So we invite you again to check out sensnationhockey.com. What's up for you today, Greg? You got, uh, you're got you going to watch the Jays game, I think you were saying? Oh, Jays and golf, buddy. Jays and golf. It's a Sunday afternoon. I've, I've, you know, the other night I was, I was uh, watching the Red Blacks. Oh God! Boy, oh and I couldn't boy. help thinking to myself, you know what? Some nights I think you got a, you got a better chance of the Blue Jays putting up more scored points on the board than the Red Blacks. Uh, disappointed in the offense. There, were you at the game, or are you just uh, at home suffering through it on TV? Just watched on TV, and I basically came to the conclusion, you know, four weeks in for the second year in a row, they've decided to go to battle without a player capable of playing the quarterback position, quarterback. at least as a starter anyway. just a, They didn't have one last time, not 20, I was going to say last year, 2019, and they thought Nichols was going to be ready, but I don't know, something, something's something been lost. There's just no zip on the ball since he had shoulder surgery, and, uh, and Dominic Davis, certainly not the answer we saw in 2019. They tried to go with him then. His stats, five touchdown passes on the year, 14 interceptions. Insiders say that's not a starting quarterback in the CFL. <laughs> yeah, they got some work cut out for them, that's for sure. That Sad. Is, you know. All right, with that, we shall take our lead. Go Red Blacks. Hopefully things get better there. Hopefully by the time we reconvene that we'll have a Brady Chuck contract to talk about. But uh, in the meantime, enjoy your uh, weekend. We shall talk to you next time. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, bud.